We are beginning a series of messages for Advent this morning, just called the uh, Lights of Christmas. And I want to talk, we're actually picking up our theme from last week with the uh, idea that we have been set free from darkness and no longer have a futile mind, but we have a fertile mind. And so that's going to be woven throughout this message that we have today on the hope of Christmas. But I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would. As we turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning in verse 17, we're going to consider our text for this morning's message. If you'd like to read along with me. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you today for the hope that we have, that you have given us, and that hope that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a hope that will not fail nor ever put us to shame, but it is a hope that we can count on, a hope that gives us encouragement for this life as well as for the life to come. And now, Lord, we pray that as we consider this hope that you have given, that you will cause it to find a place in our hearts and help us to live in a way that would glorify the name of Jesus And it's in his name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. A number of years ago, there was a show on television that was called Extreme Makeover. How many of you watched that show? Extreme Makeover. And in every episode, the Extreme Makeover would have a person that would go through this Extreme Makeover that would oftentimes involve dental work and plastic surgery and health and fitness people and nutrition and diet and exercise and all manner of, of, uh, you know, uh, approaches that were used to make this person over extremely. And it took weeks and sometimes months. But finally, the day would come when there was the grand uh, unveiling When this person would, you know, come out and they would see their friends and their families that they hadn't seen in all of these weeks, and like I said, sometimes months, and oftentimes when they would reveal the person having experienced this extreme makeover, their loved ones didn't recognize them. They didn't even recognize who they were because the makeover was so extreme. Well, in our text, we see an extreme makeover an extreme life makeover. It's a makeover of a spiritual type, a supernatural makeover, a makeover from the inside out. It involves a change in values, a change of priorities, 
a change of citizenship. The redeemed person is born again. They are rescued from the domain of darkness. Now they are made a citizen of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The good news is because of salvation, we have been given a new life. People that were once lost in darkness, people that were once living in the futility of their mind, stumbling in the dark, walking in hopeless rebellion against God, have been given a new life, a new set of priorities, a new set of values. The rebellion, a rebellion that impacted the way that we thought, the way that we felt, the way that we behaved. All of that has been changed. For you see, in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that our state, prior to knowing God, that we were without hope and without God in the world. That though having eyes, we did not see. Though having ears, we did not hear. In fact, our minds were shrouded in the deep, thick darkness of spiritual ignorance. And so as we observed last week, when it comes to the great questions of life, people without God have no plausible answers, no logical answers. They cannot explain the meaning of life. They cannot answer the question of the origin of the universe. They cannot address the philosophical question, why is there something rather than nothing? No plausible answer, no rational answer. Of course, we understand Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The Bible tells us that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That in Christ are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so that tells us that to reject Christ is to, reje is to reject wisdom. To reject Christ is to reject knowledge. It's to reject truth itself. Such a person is left morally bankrupt and spiritually blind. Ever learning, the Bible says, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. That is what it means to live in this world without Jesus Christ. In that state of spiritual darkness that has left man without hope. In his book, Your Attitude, author John Maxwell tells the story of this little small town in Maine, a town that was the proposed site of a hydroelectric plant. There was a, a river that ran through this town and just uh, below the town they were to build a dam over the river and to totally submerge the town. The town was going to be gone. It was going to be part of a huge reservoir. And so when the plan was released to the townsfolk, they were given plenty of opportunity to gather their things, to sell their houses. They would have a, a time of several months before all this would take place. But an interesting thing happened. 
Once the plan was released, all of the improvements in the town ceased. No more road work. No more new roofs being put on houses. No more electrical services being put in. No more sidewalks being repaired. No more paint even being applied. All improvements came to a halt when the word was given the town is going to be submerged. You see, one citizen explained it like this. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. See you later, Dose. Bye, Dose. See you later, buddy. <laughs> Life is so rough. <laughs> so one citizen explained it like this. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. You see, without a future, the town had no hope. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 18 and 12, and they said, there is no hope. Have you ever lived for even a moment without hope in your life? Proverbs 13 and 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Those living in spiritual darkness have no hope. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. They are without hope and without God in the world. And at one time, all of us lived in that state of hopelessness, in that state of spiritual darkness. But Christ came to give us hope. Can you say amen? The Bible tells us that He came to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to open the eyes of the blind, to set free those oppressed. This is the message of Christmas. A message of hope. Isaiah 9 tells us, Those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Now we just came through a study of the book of Galatians. And there Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, in ancient times, whenever a king would go out and visit the cities or the villages of his kingdom, a forerunner would be sent before him. And the forerunner would go before the king announcing that the king was coming. The king would soon be arriving. When Joseph was the vice regent of Egypt, he had a forerunner that would go before him in the various towns and villages. And of course, we know that when Jesus was coming, God sent a forerunner in the person of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist ministered at the Jordan River about 30 miles north of the Dead Sea. He was calling the people to repentance. He was a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. 
Now, before John the Baptist was born, an angel appeared to his father, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, and he was married to a woman named Elizabeth, who was of uh, priestly descent herself. So this was a righteous couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they were uh, along in years. In fact, Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing days. They lived in the Judean hill country. Now the Bible tells us that as a priest, Zechariah would serve in the temple. And as we study the history of Israel, we find that these divisions of the priests that were scattered throughout Israel were chosen to come and serve in the temple two weeks out of the year. And so the Bible tells us that Zechariah, his division had been called up. And so now Zechariah and Elizabeth were in Jerusalem and Zechariah was serving in the temple for his two weeks of temple duty. But a very interesting thing happened while he was there. They used to cast lots, which was kind of like throwing religious die to determine the will of the Lord. And while Zechariah was in Jerusalem, the die were, were cast, were thrown, and it fell upon Zechariah to burn incense in the holy place. This was a once-in-a-lifetime privilege. That whenever it fell upon you to burn incense in the holy place, write it down. That was the privilege of a lifetime. You would never do it again. And so now Zechariah is in the holy place of the temple and he is burning the incense. And while he's doing that, the Bible tells us that the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that he was going to have a son. His wife Elizabeth would bear a child in her old age and that they would name the son John. And initially Zechariah's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> he, he just couldn't believe it. And so he began to question the angel about this amazing miracle that God had heard his prayers and was now going to answer his prayers with a son. But the Bible tells us that because of his initial unbelief, that as a sign, the angel struck him dumb. And now, throughout the remainder of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zechariah could not speak. Now, that would be something else for a priest to not be able to speak. But he couldn't. He couldn't say anything. And so the time came, Elizabeth bore this baby, and they began to discuss in the, among the family there what they would name him. And so John, uh, his dad, Zechariah, signals for them to bring him, bring him a writing tablet. And he writes on the tablet, his name is John. And after writing that out, God looses his tongue and he begins to praise the Lord and prophesy. And the prophecy is recorded in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah said, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, in this prophecy that Zechariah gives, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, a prophecy given 700 years earlier. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. This prophecy, the prophecy of the day spring from on high, was repeated by Zechariah at the birth of John the Baptist, his son. John grew to adulthood. He began his ministry as a forerunner of the Messiah. He brought a ministry of repentance. He brought a message that the religious leaders and the political leaders did not like. So it was just a matter of time before John the Baptist was arrested and thrown into prison. And immediately after John the Baptist was arrested and incarcerated, Jesus moved the headquarters of his ministry. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. You see, Jesus is the great light that shined on the people who sat in darkness. Those who dwelt in the land of darkness, living in the futility of their mind. Stumbling in the dark. Walking in hopeless rebellion against God. They had eyes but couldn't see. Ears but couldn't hear. Minds that were shrouded in the deep, thick darkness of spiritual ignorance. And as a result, Paul said, they are without hope and without God in the world. Now hope may be defined as an expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. And hope is a necessity of life. You must have hope. If you have no hope, you will give up on life. Hope is a necessity of life. As we've said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if in this life only you have hope, you are of all men most miserable. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, why didn't you stay at home and sleep in this morning? Seriously, 
If we serve a Savior who's dead, we're wasting our time. But Christ is raised from the dead, the first fruits of those whom He will raise after His likeness. Because Paul makes it clear, if in this life only you have hope, you are of all men most miserable. You see, if you have nothing to hope for beyond this life, you're miserable. Because life is a vapor. It is brief. It is fleeting. And it is punctuated by sorrow. Without hope, you are adrift on the sea of life. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that hope is an anchor for the soul. You see, this is why those without hope live lives of quiet desperation. They are without God and without hope in the world. Their lives are marked with a meaningless futility. They're always grasping after the wind, filling their lives with diversions, always seeking something to bring fulfillment in life. But money doesn't bring fulfillment in life. Ask Matt Lauer. If he would have been fulfilled, he would not have been conducting himself in such a way as to sexually harass the women that he worked with. His sexual harassment proves my point. He's not satisfied. He's not content. Not fulfilled. I've been praying for Matt. Praying that God would cause this set of circumstances to wake him up to the emptiness of his life. To realize that you can be on the top of the financial heap and be as empty as you were before. That life is futile. It's a vapor. It's a puff of steam coming out of a tea kettle. It's here, poof, it's gone. It's brief. It's fleeting. Without God, you have no hope. It's brief. And what is the purpose? You cannot take it with you. Have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? You can't take any of it with you. You come into this world naked and you leave it the same way. The same way. God's not impressed with the way that we accumulate things to ourselves. In fact, Jesus said, be careful. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Riches are deceptive. Those dwelling in darkness are without hope and without God in the world. But praise God, we no longer have to live like that. Because of Christmas. We no longer have to live without God, no longer have to live without hope, no longer have to live with the futility of the mind in the domain of darkness. The day spring from on high has visited us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. Where we once dwelt in darkness, now we live as sons of light, as sons of the day. Where we once lived in the futility of mind, now we live with a fertile 
mind, a fertile mind. A mind that is described as having been renewed. That we as Christians have been renewed in our minds. Returning to our text in Ephesians. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That is the work of God. The Bible tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is why this work of renewal is called the renewal of the Holy Spirit in the book of Titus. Now that describes the instantaneous work of salvation as well as the progressive work of sanctification. It is all the work of the Holy Spirit. We were made alive at salvation. We are growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in the process of sanctification. We were renewed in the spirit of our mind at salvation. But we are being renewed day by day in the process of sanctification. We put off the old self at salvation. But we are putting on the new man in the day-to-day -day operation of sanctification, that the one who saved us is now forming within us the very characteristics of Jesus Christ. And all of this, all of this work pertaining to our salvation, pertaining to our, our sanctification, all of it is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why in Philippians 1.6 it says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God is at work in you. Turn and tell your neighbor, God is at work in you. Amen. Some of you are taking too much pleasure in doing that. <laughs> God is at work in you. <laughs> He's at work in all of us who call the name of Jesus. Amen. By His Spirit, the Lord saves us. By His Spirit, the Lord sanctifies us. By His Spirit, the Lord keeps us. Our part is to yield to the Holy Spirit. To yield to His work in our lives. To yield to His will in our lives. To keep in step with the Spirit. But that work of the Spirit is accomplished by the Spirit. And it involves the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind. And so Paul tells us in Romans 12 and 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So before Christ, we're walking in the futility of the mind. After Christ, with a fertile mind, a fruitful mind. 
Before Christ, without hope, without God in the world. After Christ, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And experiencing the hope that we have, born of the day spring from on high. You see, the world bases its hope in personalities. The world bases its hope in politics. The world bases its hope in military might and strength. The world bases its hope in empty philosophies of men. But the people of God base our hope in God. In God. Our hope is in God. Not in man. Not in politics. And I don't disparage those who feel called of the Lord to go into political leadership. I think it's wonderful. But ultimately, our hope is in God. It's in God. Because our hope does not end with the grave. Our hope extends into the new ages beyond this life. Our hope is in God. Psalm 33, 20-22 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him, because we have trusted in His holy name. Let Your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in You. This is why Jesus is called the hope of the ages. Our hope is in the Lord. And there are three aspects of our assurance that gives us hope. The first, God's faithfulness toward us in Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God faithfully called us. He initiated our salvation. He sought us out. He called us to himself. Jesus told his disciples who were prone to get cocky, You did not choose me. I chose you. He would leave the ninety and nine to seek out the one that was lost. You see, God wasn't lost. We were. (laughs) He sought us out. He rescued us from the miry clay. And he has planted our feet on the rock of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? God faithfully called us. He initiated our salvation. He sought us out. He called us to himself and has loved us with an everlasting love. Amen. A second assurance, God's promises fulfilled in Jesus. And so he continues to tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God in him, that is in Christ, are yes, And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All of the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. In Christ, God has fulfilled his promises toward us. So think about what those promises are. And we could do an entire series, and perhaps one day we will, on the promises of God. The promises of blessing, the promises of peace, the promises of joy, of love, of goodness, of fellowship, of forgiveness, of heaven, of eternal life, of hope. 
All of that and much more. All of those promises toward us are fulfilled in Christ. They are yes and amen. In Jesus, they are yes. Jesus is the yes of all of God's promises. Isn't that wonderful? That means those days that you go to bed at night and you feel like you've blown it in a grand fashion. You can put your head on your pillow and have a smile on your face because you know God's promises towards you are not based on you. They're based on Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And in Him, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. Praise the Lord. So when I go to bed at night and I know I've blown it in a great way, I can say I am saved and I know that I'm saved. Why? Because it's not by works of righteousness that I have done, but by His mercy He has washed me and regenerated me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Praise His name. All of the promises. Forgiveness. Eternal life. Redemption. The satisfaction of God's wrath. All of those promises completely fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all-sufficient. But there's a third reason that we have the assurance and that is perhaps the greatest reason of all, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so we return now to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise God. You know, there is one reason that I do not put any confidence in any other religious world system. One reason. You know what that reason is? It's found right here in this verse. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Buddha did not rise. Mohammed did not rise. Confucius did not rise. None of the other religious world leaders rose from the dead. The fact that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead before over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. Friends, the evidence is indisputable. It is absolutely indisputable. He rose from the dead. Why else would men allow their lives not only to be turned upside down, but to die as martyrs. I mean, ask yourself a very simple question. Would you ever die for something you knew to be a lie? I wouldn't. It's, it's ludicrous to think that you would. On the other hand, men will die for what they know to be true. They will die for that which they know is a fact. And that's the only reasonable explanation for uh, all of the apostles, especially Paul. His pedigree was outstanding. To put it in contemporary terms, it was like he had a highly coveted position at Harvard School of Divinity. That he could write his own paycheck. That he was esteemed by the culture. 
that he was in a position of such power and privilege that the world was his oyster. He had a position waiting for him on the Sanhedrin. He probably would have stepped into that position once it had been vacated by Nicodemus. Why did he give it all up? Why would anyone give all that up? In order to, be, to live a life where you are hunted down, chased, abused, beaten, left for dead, and then despised by the very people whom, whom you uh, looked your entire life for their approval. How can you explain that? In a moment. Oh, I have an explanation. Jesus raised bodily from the dead and appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And there was a vision that completely changed his life and he was utterly transformed in a matter of seconds. That makes sense. Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. And because he has been raised from the dead, we have hope. And what that also means is that Christians are the only ones who have a hope that extends beyond the grave. Because we're the only ones that serve a religious leader that was much more than a religious leader. He was God incarnate, second person of the Trinity. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That great light that shined in darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it, nor did it overcome it. He came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. You see, the resurrection of Christ energizes our hope and makes it alive. The resurrection of Christ assures us that God has accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. The resurrection of Christ assures us that we have an advocate with the Father. That our lowly bodies will be resurrected and transformed into a glorious body. That the Lord Jesus Christ will return to judge both the living and the dead. And so Acts 17 and 31 tells us, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So no longer do we have to live in darkness. No longer do we have to live with a futile mind. We can live with a fertile and fruitful mind. One that has been given hope and the one that has clarity and understands spiritual mysteries because we recognize they have all been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope because of Jesus' resurrection. The day star from on high has come. And he has risen with healing in his wings. Let us in this Christmas season share that message of hope with a world that is without hope and without God in this world. That they too can experience the joy of Christmas and the hope that sustains us even as we look forward to our Lord's return. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the hope that brings clarity to our lives. The hope of the great light, the day star from on high, the morning star. We thank you for the hope that has been shed abroad in our lives through the light and the life of Jesus Christ. 
And I pray, Father, that as we move into this week ahead and into the days ahead, that you will cause the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the basis for our hope, to so fill us with hope and believing that we will share that hope with others that you put in our pathway. Help us to share that hope in a way that is winsome, in a way that is not braggadocious, but rather in a way that boasts only in the Lord. That we do not look down upon those who do not know Jesus, but rather we consider them to be people who need hope, people that you have loved and given your life for. Put your word of hope in our mouths that we might share it in a way that they would too come to know the hope that we have. And now, Father, as we give back to you a portion of that which you have given unto us in the form of these offerings, we pray that you would take them and multiply them and give us wisdom that we need that we might know how to best invest them to further the work of your kingdom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give to the work of the Lord.